It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. President Biden's directive calls for agencies like the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve to ramp up research into regulating crypto in the U.S. Biden specifically calls for protecting consumers, cracking down on money laundering or other crimes, ensuring financial stability and promoting responsible innovation while maintaining the U.S.'s competitive edge. The executive order the president will release today is in exactly that direction, which is we need a comprehensive all-of-government framework to address the emerging risks and opportunities uh, that digital assets pose. And uh, the financial innovation underlying and the technological innovation underlying this boom uh, has a lot of potential benefit, but the risks and the costs are increasingly becoming apparent, and we need a 21st century government structure to actually address this. The reason the crypto market is responding so positively to the news today is because, well, it's what everyone in the industry has been waiting for, much needed clarity on how the federal government plans to regulate crypto. The order is also more friendly towards the industry than many expected. All right, Sandy Rios with you this morning. That was CNBC talking about, you know, digital currency, which I'm sure all of you know all about, right? Uh, no, not so much. Well, you know, you've heard the word bit Bitcoin, you've heard cryptocurrency, but most of us, I think, really don't quite comprehend it. We know it's digital, but we don't really understand it. And so when uh, Joe Biden signed an executive order just last week or within the last 10 days, uh, you heard her describe it. it it's, it still like went over our heads and we weren't quite sure what that meant. So here's my caution. Please do not turn the dial or go somewhere else because this is something that's going to affect each and every one of us, it's yet another thing that you need to know about. And I um, I can't think of a better person to talk to about it than Ben Weingarten. Ben has just written an article in Newsweek called Biden Crypto Executive Order Portends Dollar Destruction, Liberty Erosion. Uh, so, And Ben has been with us before, but let me just tell you, he's a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research. He's also a fellow at the Claremont Institute. And he's a senior contributor at The Federalist, and I think we've done this interview with him on his book, American Ingrate, Ilhan Omar and the Progressive and Islamist Takeover of the Democratic Party. And with all of that, good morning, Ben. How are you? Morning, Sandy. I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Could I just say you're, you're also a dad now. Do you just have one child? Uh, two, actually. Okay, so two little so, ones. Uh, I, 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 I have skin in the game when it comes to the million front ward that we're all facing right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, all right. So, Ben, let's jump in, just do some rudimentary things here before we get into the discussion of that executive order. Uh, cryptocurrency, I know people kind of get it, but they don't. How can there, it's not based on gold. Is it based on anything? What's it based on? Well, it, obviously, it depends on which of the myriad currencies we're talking about. But if we take Bitcoin, for example, B 
bitcoins are digitally mined. Basically, computers go through doing all these calculations. And when you finally come to the final calculation, you're rewarded with a coin. And there is a finite amount of coins, uh, at least our understanding is that there's a finite amount of coins out there that can be mined. So there is a fixed supply of Bitcoins, ultimately. And when you say Bitcoins are unbacked, they don't have a gold backing or a central bank behind them, that's true. The US dollar itself today is untethered as well from any kind of hard asset backing. It's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. And really, ultimately, all of the assets of the federal government and our rule of law, or at least what's left of it, our ability to uh, use our military to fight and defend our liberties and, and project power and strength around the world. Bitcoin doesn't have an army necessarily behind it or a government behind it, but what it does have is a finite quantity and privacy and decentralization, because while there is an open ledger of all transactions that occur within Bitcoins, who holds those Bitcoins and where they're held is completely anonymous. So those are some of the strengths as viewed by those who like cryptocurrencies, that there isn't a central bank backing, that you can't print an infinite amount of Bitcoins, and that it is this decentralized and anonymous system not controlled by the traditional financial system or government itself. And this is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why it's very telling that the U.S. federal government right now is looking at a whole of government strategy to regulate cryptocurrencies, which are a competing currency, an alternative currency to U.S. dollars, and also for the U.S. government to get into the game itself of creating a digital currency. Okay, so that's a tease, because we're going to get to all of that. I, honestly, I, I'm looking forward to talking to you about this, Ben. Uh, this is an area that I don't usually talk about, and um, I grew up in a, my dad was a businessman, so it kind of piques my curiosity uh, to talk about what all this means, and it's going to affect every American, so that's why I say to all of you, don't, stay tuned, and this is a good, you know, primer, 101, on cryptocurrency. Uh, can you help us understand uh, the scope of the use of uh, digital currency worldwide, or, or you know, we could even start with the United States. How is this? I know people are able to actually use it to purchase. Can they use it to pay taxes? I mean, what what's the scope of its uh, of uh, its usage right now? Well, it it varies by jurisdiction whether or not you can use it to pay for government services, for example. But as the Biden administration executive order itself notes. This is a multi-digital assets writ large, which includes cryptocurrencies as well as other assets, constitute a multi-trillion dollar industry. And it's been a booming industry when you consider how relatively small it was even five years ago and certainly a decade ago. So cryptocurrencies are increasingly in use. Uh, the reason, the whole reason, the whole pretext for seeking to regulate them, as the order notes, is because the industry has grown so big and so powerful. And of course, uh, the government would argue that it allows for uh, illicit activities to be funded and laundering of money, et cetera. And those criticisms you know, may well be true, given that this is 
you know, a less regulated industry and not an industry in which there's transactions, obviously, in U.S. dollars. Um, but of course, then the flip side of that coin is what happens when you have potentially a massive surveillance state that uses the currency effectively as a surveillance tool. One of the potential abuses associated with a central bank digital currency, CBDC, which the Biden administration executive order calls for the government to start investigating and preparing for in okay. earnest. So uh, another tease there. Another tease. The high level point, <laughs> yeah, I was going yeah, to say but, the same but, thing. But the high level, <laughs> high level point is multi-trillion dollar industry and a booming industry and one in which it's notable. You know, I, I first heard about cryptocurrencies over a decade ago. Um, libertarians were very big on them as a potential alternative to the U.S. dollar. And I even remember a time where they would give away Bitcoins. If you purchase an author's book, you'd get a free Bitcoin. I remember with it. that. Now, I remember you know, that. We're, we're kicking ourselves now for not taking people up on those offers. My assumption at the time had been that if this ever became a real competitor to uh, currencies, fiat money issued by governments, that governments themselves would regulate them out of existence. And that might still happen. But what I didn't anticipate was that many of the big banks and financial institutions themselves started to get into the cryptocurrency game. And as a consequence, the market grew substantially. And now it appears the governments want to learn to live with or adapt some of the benefits or some of the technologies underlying, as one of those soundbites indicated, these currencies, uh, as opposed to crushing them and pushing them out of existence. But that might happen, too, based upon the trajectory that we're seeing. Okay, so crypto then is pretty worldwide. Europe has a form of it, and China certainly does. And we'll we will talk to China about talk to we'll talk about China and uh, kind of that we're following their model, and that's part of the danger here. But I want to ask you before we get into that, uh, you just have to one has to ask you know the effect on the dollar. Uh, the dollar is the world's currency. It is like the standard. It is the gold standard worldwide. When I was traveling internationally, you know, so many years. Everybody wanted dollars when I go to these third world countries. It is the standard. I don't know what it, I can't explain, let's say that, uh, what advantage that is to the United States. What is the advantage of being, uh, having the world's currency, the gold standard for currency? Well, it, it gives us substantial control and leverage over the entire financial, global financial architecture, trading architecture. I think something like, 60% of worldwide currency that's circulating is U.S. dollars. Oil is traded in U.S. dollars. Um, U.S. treasuries, represent, which of course are issued in U.S. dollars, um, are among the deepest and most liquid of uh, sovereign debt that can be issued. All of these things give us an advantage in that the dollar is desired, the dollar is in use. And because of the perceived strength in that currency, it helps make us the dominant player globally. If tomorrow we woke up in a system where China and Russia had an alternative currency that was perceived as stronger than the U.S. dollar, used in more transactions, comprised a more liquid currency market, our power would win. Control over a currency gives you substantial control over geopolitical power um, and, and the legitimacy and the strength of your system itself. And what would happen tomorrow if suddenly the dollar became worthless in transactions 
uh, we would potentially go bankrupt belly up as a country to the extent there were stronger competing currencies out there. Um, nothing less than really our economic strength, our geopolitical power, but ability to project that power and ultimately our ability to survive uh, really rests in a large part on us having the world reserve currency. It's been a discussion for a long time that China wants the, the yuan, they want their currency, you, uh, yuan, it's Y-U-A-N, uh, to be the, they want to take, replace the dollar. So the question is, in this moment, how does, the dollar has been devalued, now been devaluing for quite a while. Uh, but recently, I don't really know, it just seems with all the printing that they're doing of dollars and the spending that they're doing, one wonders if it, does it still have uh, any kind of, um, how strong is it, I guess is the question, Ben. I know it's hard to, to assess, but what do you, how strong do you think our dollar is and what kinds of things have caused it to be less strong? Well, one way that you can measure the strength is, first of all, you look at what percentage of kind of currencies out there in the world uh, the U.S. dollar comprises. You can look to things like, obviously, the inflation rate, which the government numbers on inflation uh, are sort of cooked book numbers. They artificially underplay inflation by how they calculate it. So I would argue price inflation is actually higher than the numbers that we're seeing now, which resemble 1970s Jimmy Carter stagflation numbers. We can look to the price of gold in dollars as another indicator of the strength or weakness of that dollar. Um, and then you can look at what happens in capital markets. If, if interest rates start to soar, if people start selling off U.S. treasuries, the U.S. debt en masse, all of those are indicators of a perceived weak dollar. And what, what underpins that dollar? Again, it's, we don't have hard asset backing anymore. So again, it's really, it's a faith in the strength of our system and its adherence to its values and principles our military, and all the assets of the federal government and how productive people perceive the U.S. economy to ultimately be that Very underpins the strength. That helps. So that helps a lot to understand. So now, now we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and talk about Biden's executive order, uh, which he signed just last week. The article is Biden Crypto Executive Order Portends Dollar Destruction, Liberty Erosion. So we'll get to all of that in a second. So stay tuned. Ben Weingarten is our friend. Our friend. He's our friend. He's also our guest. Be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Part of that executive order today also called for the Federal Reserve to double down on its research into a central bank digital currency. The Fed released a report earlier this year on the creation of a so-called CBDC, but it didn't take a position on the issue. Now, Biden's order calls for a new, quote, urgency in exploring a digital dollar. The creation of a CBDC would put the U.S. on a more level playing field with China, which has been developing its own digital currency and amassing millions of users. Still, policymakers are evaluating whether a digital dollar would harm financial stability. All right, so that's, again, another clip from CNBC that explains, in part, uh, Biden's executive order that went over most of our heads because we just had no idea. I understand the cryptocurrency world was really excited about it, which, Ben, that doesn't make any, any sense since, as you described earlier, uh, people who went for digital currency did that because they wanted to get off the grid and have less federal control. So why would they be excited about the federal government controlling digital currency? 
Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's a good question, and you know, there's sort of been mixed signals from the marketplace in terms of whether or not they're happy about the Biden administration potentially getting into the game of regulating. And I think perhaps ultimately what you'll see is some of the players, some of the more establishment type players in this space, looking to guide those regulations to their advantage. Of course, you know, it's one of the ironies in something resembling at least free market capitalism that. Entrepreneurs start out hungry. Uh, they they want to compete on their merits, but then when they get bigger and stronger, ultimately they want to stop the very freedoms that enable them to compete in the first place to keep competitors out of the marketplace. So I think as this market matures, you're going to see a dynamic like that where the biggest and strongest players probably seek to use regulation to their own advantage and to keep competitors out. Uh, but but all that said. I think there's also there sh- there ought to be a fear here that regulation could significantly hinder particularly digital assets that represent competition for traditional currencies issued by states. And I think as I argue in this piece in Newsweek there's a potential one two punch here of raising the costs for cryptocurrency creators and market makers and the like, while at the same time creating a digital dollar to compete with them that has all sorts of artificial advantages, namely that it's backed by something like the Federal Reserve. And that potentially means both hindering and making less attractive these other alternative currencies, and then potentially using the power of the federal government to impose that digital currency on the public as the dominant currency to be used. Okay, so the bait and switch in that order, it seems to me, was at first they said, you know, this is the Wild West and it needs regulating because people are using this money that's off the grid for nefarious purposes. And so we need to regulate it. And so everybody's saying, oh, that's good because there are these harms here and harms here and it will help me right now. But the second part of it is when the shoe dropped. And that's the central bank uh, notion, which you, you were describing to some extent just a minute ago, where they would drive out of the market all of the alternatives and create a federal digitized dollar. Well, you tell us then, Ben, what is it that they have in mind to do? And that's what we want to talk about. That's really the nut of this interview. What, what does he want? What do they want to do? Yeah, there's the potentiality, certainly, to make the CBDC, central bank digital currency, the predominant currency in circulation. And so what the order calls for And the Federal Reserve has been teeing this up for some time. Uh, Global authorities, as well as authorities within individual nations, many of them have been focusing on developing these central bank digital currencies, where basically they want to have a digital dollar, or in China, a digital yuan. And this digital dollar could potentially drive out of circulation, first of all, paper dollars. Um, and, and, And so what are the dangers of having a digital currency? Well, for one thing, it makes inflating the money supply and therefore devaluing the dollars in your pockets and in your bank account uh, able to be achieved at warp speed. And not only that, the potentially the ability to manipulate your economic activity. So one of the things that China tested in piloting its digital yuan is the ability to put a time limit on currency. So if you don't spend this currency within X period of time, it will simply vanish from your account. Another thing that could be done, and the government would tout this as a plus, 
is being able to automatically deposit you know, stimulus money into your account. But if it can give it, it can also take it. And so in the China model, where they have a social credit system, where if you act in accordance with what the Chinese Communist Party wants, you're rewarded in many ways, including economic. But if you're not, you're punished. One of the hypothetical examples, and I think a real world example, ultimately, that the Wall Street Journal has pointed out is that if you engage in an infraction in China, like you jaywalk, the government could reach into your digital account and take money out of it because they have surveillance cameras everywhere. And this points to, of course, the power of a digital currency. It's not just that you can devalue your currency or put time limits on it to manipulate economic behavior. But potentially, if you give the government that kind of power, where you have a bank account with the Federal Reserve, potentially, this is the way that it could be constructed, and you engage in wrong think that the government classifies as being dangerous to national security or calls you a domestic violent extremist because maybe you hold the wrong views. Well, what could our government do in a situation like that to your account? Could it seize it? Could it freeze it? Certainly, to the extent it's a government-managed system, it can surveil all of your transactions. So the obvious privacy and civil liberty as potential violations here are baked right into the cake. Certainly, if you can build a dossier of a person's transactions, you can reconstruct basically their whole life and all of their activities. So potentially, the twofold danger built into a digital currency is the ability to destroy the value of your currency at warp speed. And then number two, to eviscerate your privacy, your individual liberties, your civil liberties. And while we may not have the Chinese Communist Party at the helm today, increasingly we have something resembling an American social credit system. And we've seen the dangers, of course, in, and as I think we've talked about before, the federal government engaging in a national strategy for countering domestic terrorism that essentially classifies anyone who dissents from whatever the regime wants as being a potential danger to the homeland. So you can see if you give more power to surveil citizens and control their activities, and you classify potentially tens of millions of people as potential dangers to the country, the potential for nefarious, sinister, and evil abuses of a system like this. And of course, we have seen a whole raft of abuses from our national security apparatus, our law enforcement apparatus, intelligence apparatus over the last five years, and specifically, of course, now an increasing use of the financial system at a global level, and maybe rightfully so, to try to shut out Russia and basically cancel it from the global financial architecture. But then we also saw the Biden administration cheering on the Trudeau regime to use all of its powers to punish the trucker convoy. And just two weeks before, days before, it imposed essentially a, a policy that debanked those truckers from the Canadian system, the Biden administration urged that government to use all of its powers to punish that convoy. So if that's what the administration supports abroad, you can imagine the ways that it could abuse its power at home as well. Well, just a, uh, a couple of uh, domestic examples here, Ben. I remember back in the Obama administration, and you will too, I think, uh, they were already freezing assets from their opponents. I remember gun stores. 
I remember one in particular that had all of their assets frozen. I forgot what the regulation was, and they weren't the only one. And that was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that happen. And then I think also uh, uh, what happened with the people that went to the Capitol on January the 6th, and somehow, uh, this is slightly different, but not too much, uh, the federal government went to Bank of America and in some sort of an agreement, which to my knowledge had never been done before, certainly not publicly, Bank of America turned over all the records of people that were, you know, traveled in that area, no matter if they're perfectly innocent Americans with no criminal, we're assuming maybe some of them did, but most of the part, for the most part, they were patriots who wanted to go, you know, rally at the, you know, uh, at President Trump's rally. So their their records were exposed, and then they tracked those people down, and the FBI came after them. I mean, that's about as abusive as I – that can give you an idea, a window into what they have in mind for us. Absolutely, I, and I, I cite that January 6th example in the piece. And then even moving beyond what the government has done, and in some ways this to me is more demoralizing and, and devastating for – you know, what ought to be a free republic is private, putatively private sector actors engaging in this kind of behavior yes. of their own volition. So mm-hmm. obviously PayPal pushing people off their system or the major banks saying, sorry, we'd, we'd rather you don't do any business with us anymore. I think General Flynn, for example, was one person who uh, cited an example of that. To the extent it's the private sector aligned with the government working to essentially cancel wrong thinkers from society. And of course, most punitively, when it comes to your ability to put food on the table, when it comes to your, your financial status, uh, obviously the, the ability for those to, to torture their political opponents is massive. And so I think this, this element of a central bank digital currency, to the extent it unfolds in the, way, the ways that I'm laying out, or even in a softer way that I'm laying out, presents ma- the massive potential for abuses for the American people. And I think just the further institutionalization of a war on wrong think on Americans. Another example of what we're talking about, Dinesh D'Souza was canceled from Chase Bank. They co- closed all of his accounts. And I think, you mm-hmm. know, PayPal and Venmo, there's just, you know, most conservative organizations Many of them, and probably most of them, have been shut out from these paying mechanisms. It's the same, but it's it's different, but the same. And um, it's it's a very dangerous uh, situation. And I think of those truckers in Canada, Ben. I remember stories. They were pleading. People were pleading for them. They've got rent to pay. They have children. They need to buy food. And there was, as far as I know, no mercy shown uh, when they shut them out from their credit cards, their bank accounts, and all of that. And there they are in you know, in the capital and those big trucks that require gasoline, it was, there was no, no limits on the, the lengths to which they would go uh, to stop and punish them financially. Um, and, and then I'd be curious to know, from your perspective, how does this tie into the Great Reset, uh, the World Economic Forum, the, you know, the whole, the larger, even larger picture of where, uh, this isn't China. This is, you know, uh, Western Europeans who want to do something known as the Great Reset. Where does that fit into this pattern, you think? Well, uh, for for one thing, I think to the extent our paper currencies are headed in an awful direction, and obviously all you have to do is look at a chart of the U.S. money supply and, and how it spiked 
as well as our massive in debt and deficits, this potentially allows for something of a reset of the currency. If you look at the long-term history of the dollar, the dollar went from being on a gold standard to a pseudo gold standard of convertibility to after 1971, purely paper money. So the next step in terms of a weaker and less unmoored, untethered from a fiscally sound, prudent, balanced system that a hard asset backing forces, imposes, and discipline it imposes would, of course, be a digital currency, the ultimate potential funny money. Um, so part of it is, you know, to the extent the the global currency system itself may end up in crisis with all this massive money printing, this is a natural reset there. And then I think there's a broader aspect of this, which is you push people on to digital platforms and mass. And if you, if traditional alternatives erode because of all the benefits that we see, manifest benefits to doing everything in the digital sphere. If you push them onto these digital platforms and you make certain platforms dominant, first of all, it gives those platforms tremendous control. You could look at an analog in terms of Twitter or a Facebook, but also it provides another ultimate surveillance tool. And I think th this fits into this broader picture of a push to everything digital, remote, and creating potentially the the ability to engage in massive control and massive surveillance and impose substantial costs to anyone who would want to compete with it. And so from that perspective, if you're looking at you know something like global governance or at least substantially more powerful sovereign governments, these are the types of moves you would make. You know, I... Um... I know you we, You and I have had discussions, so please, I just want to comment that this, as a Christian, in Revelation, it talks about in the, the, in the last days, whatever they are, uh, that people will not be able to buy and sell unless they bow their knee to, they call it the beast, but I'm sure that's metaphorical, uh, but you, you will not be able to buy and sell anything uh, unless you have the, the, they don't use the word currency. Uh, but you, you can, they can, they can't buy bread, nothing, without the permission of the the controlling authority at that time. And so it's just pretty, pretty interesting, Ben, to all of us that are Christians, as we see this happening. And we actually, when I was a kid, I thought, now how could that ever happen, you know? But now you can see how it could happen. Uh, ben, when we come back, I just want to ask you if there's any way to circumvent this. If there are any efforts to push back, is there any way that we can stop it? Uh, my guest has been Weingarten, and the book is called uh, the book. The article is called "Biden Crypto Executive Order Portends Dollar Destruction, Liberty Erosion," and it's in Newsweek magazine. And uh, you can find it there. And uh, you can find Ben at at b h Weingarten on Twitter. And we will be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning. AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. President Biden's comments yesterday about trying to uh, regulate that space a bit more closely would again appear to be uh, another attempt to exert control over elements that are really at this point in time sort of out of control, aren't they? Now, that touches upon uh, um, what came out uh, today, um, President Biden's executive order about the regulation of digital assets. And this is an order that basically tasks various U.S. agencies um, and institutions 
with trying to develop a comprehensive plan for regulation of a broad set of digital um, assets, including um, decentralized cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, but in addition, stable coins that get their value from being pegged uh, essentially um, to fiat currencies, and also uh, thinking about prospects for a digital version of the US dollar. Um, in all of these areas, I think regulation is certainly um, necessary because um, it is a bit of a wild west right now. You have a lot of um, uh, prospects for decentralization and the prospects of these new technologies potentially democratizing finance. But on the other hand, there is a risk that these technologies could be used for illicit financing. It, they, they could um, end up not providing the sort of investor protection that is necessary to make sure that retail investors understand the risks of what they're getting into. Um, and you have financial stability risks as well, uh, including from stable coins, which might seem like the safest of instruments, but are beginning to essentially function like unregulated money market mutual funds. So the idea behind mm -hmm. the order is to start thinking about the functionality of these different assets and technologies and thereby regulate them. And actually, it might end up benefiting the industry. As you may have noticed, Bitcoin's price jumped since the executive order was issued. Because ultimately, what these sorts of regulations provide to the industry is legitimacy. Now, of course, the industry is going to scream once they see the specifics of legislation, which might crimp them a little bit. But I think overall, bringing some regulatory clarity is certainly going to help the industry and potentially could also help harness the benefits of these new technologies while mitigating the risks. Oh, it's interesting to hear people from other countries talking about this, isn't it? Sandy Rios with you. Uh, we're talking about, uh, well, the Biden executive order on cryptocurrency, but we're also talking about just cryptocurrency in general. We're talking about especially now about the part of the order that wants to develop a central banking system. And um, one of the things that they are selling in this order is that you can bank cheaper and more efficiently. You'll put all of your money with the federal government. Isn't that just wonderful? And I want to read something to you. This is in Ben's article. Ben Weingarten is our guest. Uh, his article in Newsweek is uh, is a great one. Biden crypto. We'll put this on our uh, uh, yeah on our Getter account so that you can read it. This is a quote from Biden's first pick to head the office of comptroller uh, of the currency. She didn't make it through, and you might understand it when you hear this clip. It's Saleh Omarova. Fully replace rather than compete with private bank deposits and to establish federal control over the very process of generation and allocation of financial resources, directly crediting and debiting the accounts of all participants in economic activity. Once the Fed has control of all Americans' savings and checking accounts, it will be able to function as a hybrid of a sovereign wealth fund and a private equity firm, printing money to spend on infrastructure projects like high-speed rail. Ben, let me just have you comment on that. What is she talking about? And uh, yeah, just what are your comments on her comments? Well, first of all, the fact that this was the person who the Biden administration originally nominated to run the office of the comptroller of the currency ought to terrify Americans. She's talking about the ability to use this control via central bank digital currency to not just enable dominance over the basic banking system, but then to get into actually controlling economic activity to the point of pushing for agenda items that a Biden administration or a future progressive administration 
might want. It's one thing when you're talking about someone having a checking or savings account with the Federal Reserve, which is arguably radical in and of itself. But even worse would be to the extent that you use that power over the currency and the banking system to then actually go about allocating funds to industries, of course, on a political and ideological basis. It's terrifying to think that that person could have run the office of the comptroller of the currency. And this just speaks to there are probably ways that we can't even conceive of that such control might ultimately be warped and twisted to undermine American law, American values and principles, and ultimately our economic strength and power and dynamism as well. Okay, so that brings me to um, what kind of pushback? There must be some, or she would have made it through the confirmation process. So is there this executive order? Of course, executive orders are not laws. They're not they're executive orders. They're signed by the president. Uh, how can that be countervened? Or, and can it be? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, and I cite this in the article, there are a small percentage of Fed governors and the Fed governors. I, I think there was an article recently showing that Almost 100% of political campaign contributions from Fed governors have gone to Democrats, Democrat presidents, I think, in the, in the most recent race. Um, and, and also, let's point out that the, the Biden administration has sought to use every lever of executive power to impose its radical green agenda in particular on the economy. So the SEC is, of course, all about getting in the game of ESG, environmental, social, and governance control over private entities. Uh, so this ought to be seen in that context in terms of how could you abuse all these executive powers to try to impose your agenda on people through regulations and rules. So as for what the order itself does, what it does is call on a whole slew of agencies to prepare research and reports, analyses, on what would need to be done to bring a CBDC, central bank digital currency, to market and, and how to make it you know, competitive and, and functional. And, and, what, and at least theoretically, what the pros or ostensibly what the pros and the cons would be. And it calls for, for most of these reports, I think, to be assembled on something like a six-month timeline. And it's worth noting that the order itself points out that this is of the utmost urgency. I think that word is actually used in the order. My administration places the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design and deployment options of a United States CBDC. Okay, so it clearly sets the groundwork here for it in terms of ramping up the activities of all these various agencies to facilitate its creation. Can they actually go about creating it? At least one Fed governor has questioned whether or not it would be legal for the Federal Reserve to do this, certainly of its own volition, without Congress itself, of course, drafting law that enables it. So, you know, the first line of defense ought to be the law. You know, how can an administration essentially create an alternative to the U.S. dollar in a digital dollar absent law? How can you do that by executive fiat? And then in particular, when it comes to the Fed, which itself is a quasi-private entity. So that's point one, is the, the legal argument. Has there been significant pushback from politicians? Unfortunately, there are many Republicans themselves who 
have bought in, in my view at least, unfortunately, have bought into the view that a central bank digital currency is imperative to compete against other powers because other powers like China and, uh, and Russia and others have shown an interest in this alternative kind of currency. As far as I'm concerned, the right way to keep the, the dollar king is to make it the strongest and soundest currency in the world. And that means supporting economic policies, of course, that drive dynamism and growth adhering to the rule of law, protecting private property rights, not eviscerating our civil liberties, maintaining a quantitatively and qualitatively dominant military, and then, of course, managing our budgets prudently. Uh, We're pretty much failing or going the wrong direction in almost all of these areas. And I think you can trace the plight of the currency to its mismanagement, of course, in terms of the mass money printing but then all of the other kind of second order or tangential factors into how strong your currency is. We're moving in the wrong direction, a lot of those. So I don't think the answer is to create a currency that is even less tethered from reality in terms of a digital currency. It's to make the U.S. dollar the strongest dollar on the merits. And if it's the strongest dollar on the merits, people will continue wanting to use it globally, and it will remain the gold standard among fiat currencies. But a lot of pressure is on the other side of this for obvious reasons because of the power and control potentially baked into it. So that's one of the reasons why I wrote this piece, because I think it's imperative that the public understands what's coming down the pike, understands that, that the federal government, the Federal Reserve, major financial institutions themselves don't seem to be putting up much of a fight over CBDCs. This is coming down the pike unless there is substantial public backlash, I think, and then also a serious legal strategy in place to halt it. And when it comes to the law, I think as a layman on paper, it seems like this should be an open and shut case of preventing it if Congress doesn't make a law, because Congress is is exclusively in charge of coining the currency, if you look at the Constitution. Uh, If Congress doesn't pass a law that enables this, and I don't think there's any way that it should be able to come to market, but as we've seen, there's a will to power and executive power is recognized, at least when the right executive is in office. And the law ultimately is only as strong as the people who are willing to enforce it. And so I, I fear when we're reliant exclusively on the law that that puts, it, that puts a question like this to the Supreme Court. And you don't know how it's going to work out in a Supreme Court, even with a purported six to three Republican majority. Yeah, That's really. why the public needs to be engaged on this. Can't just you know, be the law. Ben, when, <clears throat> excuse me, when I think about how we got here, I, I reflect on the fact that we stopped teaching economics, <clears throat> excuse me, in public schools. Uh, I'm sure it's possible to find it somewhere, but in most public schools, kids do not study this. Most public schools just don't teach economics anymore. And I, I in the days when Dave Bratt was uh, serving in Congress, Congressman Dave Bratt, and that was when the day, when Paul Ryan was the uh, Speaker of the House. I remember interviewing uh, Dave a lot, Congressman Bratt, because he was a former um, a professor of economics. And we had these discussions often about how really ignorant people who serve in Congress are on economics. Now, I'm sure there are exceptions. I'm sure there may, a lot of the businessmen are certainly not. I think of uh, Donald Trump. I think of um, uh, Tim, um, Rick Scott from Florida right now. There are some guys who really do understand economics. But by and large, there is a there's just an an inability to understand money systems and economics because they just 
haven't studied it. And I think that's pretty dangerous for all of us. And isn't it interesting that they would want to be like China? I mean, that's part of what I understand here. Now, Ben, does China already have a full-blown uh, federal system? Uh, the, uh, do they have a federal uh, digital system? Are they working toward it? They have a working digital yuan right now. It's still relatively early days. But that should serve as the model of the ultimate totalitarian abuse baked into a system like this. And I totally agree. We should not be imitating communist China when it comes to trying to have a strong, sound, stable currency. I think the proponents of, of the central bank digital currency will say, well, look, you know, China and other countries are getting into this digital game. We, are, we have to get into it, too, because we have to compete with them. And, and also, yeah, as we see with the Russia, with the model of how the U.S. is sort of engaged in a war by other means with Russia here uh, in terms of shutting it out of the global financial system. Of course, when you do that and when you impose sanctions and to the extent you have real airtight sanctions in place, all of these adversarial regimes themselves are going to look for alternatives to the dollar so they can continue to operate economically. And so I think for those reasons, some, I think, wrong, wrongheadedly believe that, well, we need to have a, our own kind of digital currency since they're going to have a digital currency that they repeat with. That, yeah. in my view, shouldn't be the answer. It's yeah. make America strong, have a sound dollar, and the dollar will prevail. That sounds that sounds right to me too, Ben. Uh, and that and it makes a great deal of sense. And let me again commend Ben's article because this is readable. You can read this and comprehend, and share it with other people. We'll, we will put it on our Getter account so that you can read it and share it and do just that. And you can follow Ben again at at bh weingarten at bh weingarten on Twitter. And Ben, maybe soon Twitter will be free and open, and you can tweet even more delightful things, <laughs> like share your share your controversial views on Twitter. We hope so. Ben, thanks, and we appreciate so much of your time this morning. Thank you so much, and, and take care. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Mm-hmm.